0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare Short-Term Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Coming up, holiday tunes reimagined for science.
3: Have yourself
1: a
4: merry little Christmas.
3: And a scientist's guide
5: to post truth. It makes it very easy for people to just go ahead and believe whatever they care to believe.
1: Plus, how tongue tied would our willing players get when they have to describe science with literally none of the jargon? This is the Nature Podcast for December the 22nd, 2016. I'm Kerry Smith. And I'm Noah Baker. It's the final episode of 2016 and have we got a show for you. It's as full of surprises as the year itself has been, but perhaps a bit easier to swallow. We've got three festive songs for you, performed by members of the Springer Nature Choir and in one case by the very talented family of one of our producers.
3: Plus we have a family game, the year's best books and the folks who made Waves in Science this year. But first, Kerry examines one of the year's biggest buzzwords.
1: This year, the Oxford Dictionary's word of the year is post-truth. They define it as a situation in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. This is the year, after all, that UK politician Michael Gove said... I think the people in this country have had enough of experts... That was in the run-up to the Brexit vote. And the year that Donald Trump said in multiple rallies... I will always tell you the truth even though he really didn't. According to an analysis by the magazine Politico, which fact-checked both Trump and Clinton for a five-day period in September, Trump averaged one falsehood every three minutes and 15 seconds. Science is nothing if not a quest for truth. Sure, that sounds a bit lofty, and most scientists recognise that there's uncertainty in what they discover, but they hold facts in the highest regard. So this week I've been finding out whether we really are post-truth, and if so how the scientifically minded should react. Here's Kathleen Higgins. She's a philosopher at the University of Texas at Austin.
5: I think a lot of people um, who believe that the truth is important also accept the idea that, well, in fact, this is not something that is necessarily what we can take for granted anymore.
1: But are we really living in a world where facts don't matter? Earlier this year, the Institute for Government, a UK charity working to increase government effectiveness, asked people if they wanted politicians to consult experts when making decisions. 85% said yes. And almost as many wanted the government to make decisions based on objective evidence. Both those figures, by the way, are up from 2014, when the Institute for Government asked the same questions. But this is different from asking, do you believe everything you're told? This, says Kathleen, marks a new and different trend.
5: It's noteworthy and concerning that it seems to be very common for people, certainly in my country, to um, act as though, well, yes, we don't really believe everything that we're being told by politicians, for instance, and we don't really care. We just think that's what people say to get elected. I think that the worrisome part about that is it makes it very easy for people to just go ahead and believe whatever they care to believe and proceed on that basis.
1: This is unhelpful for politicians but a greater source of dismay, perhaps, for scientists. Of course, some areas of science have been up against a variety of post-truth for years. Proponents of vaccines, evolutionary biologists, and, of course, climate scientists.
2: Hello, good afternoon. Is that Kerry? This is Phil Williamson.
1: He's part of a group of environmental scientists who published research into the effects of ocean acidification on sea life. In April this year, their research turned up in the media.
2: There was an article in the Spectator magazine that considered the ocean acidification to be a scam, a figment of the imagination of, of climate alarmists, uh, and that there was no uh, sort of fundamental basis for, for, for the science. To
1: be clear, there was a hefty basis for the report's conclusions, including 250 peer-reviewed papers. Williamson published a rebuttal of the article and flagged the piece also to the Independent Press Standards Organisation, the regulator for the newspaper and magazine industry in the UK. Williamson argued that the author, James Dellingpole, had ignored or misrepresented climate science. The team expects a decision from Ipso before the end of the year. Phil wonders whether his own experience might be part of a growing trend for science and other forms of fact-finding to be snubbed.
2: Now that the, the sort of the feeling of of anti-science or questioning science is much higher. And now that it's sort of reached political power in some countries, that's going to be very much harder to challenge.
5: There is something very problematic if even the kinds of evidence that experimental results turn up are discounted.
1: Philosopher Kathleen Higgins again.
5: It is, uh, I think, extremely disturbing for the whole enterprise and, and one might say for the funding of, of the enterprise of science if people don't seem to think that these kinds of basic facts matter.
1: Maybe post-truth is a bit absolute, but it never hurts to plan for the worst. Kathleen suggests that scientists should keep in mind what people respond to.
5: Well, one thing that I think is very important, even though it sounds maybe counterintuitive, is not to phrase the problem as a matter of people responding emotionally as opposed to rationally. Take vaccines,
1: for instance. People care about the health of their children. This is rational. They're not necessarily reacting against science for the sake of it. Scientists could help, Kathleen argues, by...
5: Making the connection for people between these rational, level-headed observations and how they actually translate into things that they care about and how to pursue those goals.
1: But what about that slightly different issue, all those falsehoods appearing online? Phil Williamson has one idea for quality control.
2: For Google and for Facebook, I mean, they've got they've got filters that take out pornography. They, they, they've got filters that take out strong content that people would find objectionable. Now, is it possible for them either to have some sort of filter or some sort of ranking uh, or, or to, to include that within the algorithms that, that, so that not, not every website is, is counted as equal?
1: Phil even has a name for his proposed ranking engine.
2: A scientific Honesty and Integrity Tracker, uh, S-H-A-I-T, and you can pronounce that whichever way you like.
1: It's a good idea, at least according to Facebook, who last week announced that they would be flagging fake news stories with the help of users and outside fact-checkers like the Associated Press and factcheck.org. This still assumes, though, that people want the truth. Kathleen Higgins wonders if that's what we really learnt from this year's election campaign.
5: In some sense there's a kind of grand liberation from fact. Um, I mean, it's very hard for me to relate to um, being in a field that very much trades on the opposite. But I think there is a certain amount of um, euphoria on the part of some who do find it a bit oppressive to try to be on top of what all the facts amount to.
1: Philosopher Kathleen Higgins and before her Phil Williamson of the University of East Anglia. Read more about the UK Ocean Acidification Research Programme at oceanacidification.org.uk and find the Ipso website at ipso.co.uk. 2016
3: has been at times a trying year, but one time-honoured way to soothe the soul is to sing. So for the end of year show, we've written three festive anthems to celebrate some big themes in science. You can find the lyrics on Twitter at Nature Podcast, ready to download if you'd like to print yourself a hymn sheet and have a sing-along in the lab.
1: Which we heartily encourage. And if you do do that, would someone please hit record on their iPhone and send us the performance?
3: Oh, please do. So, first musical theme. 2016 has seen big strides being made in artificial intelligence the most successful AIs can now beat world champions at the game Go, and are starting to act like doctors picking up diseases from images of medical scans. And we pay homage to these developments in our first carol, AI in a Manger. The lyrics are by Sharmini Bandel, and it's performed by members of the Springer Nature Choir. AI in
6: a manger, this computer of kings, with sweet
4: Like the stars
6: in the night sky, how to drive, how to play. Games like Go, it will take all of our problems away. It lands like a baby, we don't need us anymore. This AI just tells you what your pictures are of. We pose you no danger, the computers will say, in their own secret language, as they rule us one day.
3: The choir will return later in the show for another tweaked tune, but first we're assigning you some holiday reading. Nature's Books and Arts editor, Barb Kaiser, sat down for a chat about her top tomes of 2016 with producer Steve Mursky of Scientific American. Well, here we are, two Americans in London, <laughs> and uh, tell, tell the audience
7: who you are and why you've been uh, here in London for such a long time.
8: Um, so I'm Barb Kaiser. I'm the Books and Arts editor at Nature. I've been doing the job for five years, which means that I've probably winnowed, hmm, well, at about 400 books a year, something like (laughs) 2,000 books since I've been doing the job. And um, that has been a really fascinating process.
7: And when we met the other day, you told me that you have prepared this collection. Why don't you tell us about that?
8: Yeah. So um, every year I have a top 20. It's evenly divided between, you know, the books that Gain a lot of attention for all those obvious bestsellery reasons, and also books that I've read and just thought, my God, you know, I've never heard of this author, but it's amazing.
7: Now I don't know which which books you've chosen, and I don't know how many we'll talk about right now. We won't talk about all twenty. No. but why don't you start telling us about them?
8: Okay, so the only books I'm going to talk about from the list are linked. Uh, It just so happened that four books that came out this year are about women in science in detail.
7: Is one of them the Dava Sobel book?
8: Sobel and Margot Lee Shutterly and Natalia Holt all wrote books about female human computers in history. Explain
7: what you, human computers is because okay. people might not know.
8: Okay, so before the era of huge mainframe computers doing all this tedious number crunching, they would hire people to do massive amounts of computing and this was a, an incredibly onerous job. These were all mathematicians of of a particular with, with real edge. They had to be very good
7: and somewhere historically, this became a woman's job.
8: Yes. To talk about that, I'd have to go back to Dava Sobel's book. Her book is called The Glass Universe, and it's, um, it's about the 19th century women number crunchers at the Harvard College Observatory. They were an extraordinary bunch, partly because the first ones who arrived, um, some of whom were not even acknowledged mathematicians. Um, There was a woman called Williamina Fleming, who arrived as a maid, and then went on to identify over 300 variable stars. That's pretty extraordinary. And there were plenty of others. So that's Sobel's story. And then Shetterly's is really fascinating, because her group of women are African Americans. So in addition to forging on through all the hurdles that women faced at that time if they wanted a career, these women also had to deal with really virulent, multilayered racism just in their quotidian lives. Despite all this, um, a number of them went on to become movers and shakers and have long and really distinguished careers. One was Katherine Johnson, uh, who was the person who calculated Apollo 11's trajectory on its flight to the moon. Now, Holt's story into Twines with this because the women that she follows were recruited around the same time, give or take a decade. They did the groundwork that launched the first U.S. satellite, missiles, bombers, and more laterally, Mars rovers. Together, th- this is just one of the most extraordinary groups of women scientists that we've never heard of.
7: Yeah, it's uh, it's an incredible story that's stayed hidden until really recently.
8: To those three books, I'd just like to sort of jump to now. And there was another book that really stood out for me this year, which is Hope, Jaron's Lab Girl. And this is a book that not only sort of unpeels the strangeness of academic research, but also unpeels the casual sexism that she encounters from, from male peers on an almost daily basis, and it really pulls no punches. And it, I think that it got a lot of attention because people were shocked. I, everyone wants to know what goes on in the lab. Jaron defines sex and, sexism as the cumulative weight of constantly being told that you can't possibly be what you are. And, you know, I was just thinking, in a way, there's nothing grimmer than that. It's, it's like an assault on identity. But these four books are wonderful in revealing how scores of women have have overcome that with grace and through science
3: that was barb kaiser speaking to scientific american steve Mersky, who took the opportunity to chat to her when he visited the london offices from new york recently you can read the rest of barb's top 20 book picks on nature's books and arts blog at blogs.nature.com forward slash a view from the bridge
1: Coming up, the Year in Science News, downloaded straight from the Nature News desk hive mind. But first, here are the research highlights, read by Charlotte Stoddart. Brussels sprouts, carrots,
9: cabbage. If you're having a Christmas dinner, chances are you're cooking some veg alongside. And by doing so, you're continuing a tradition that goes back at least 8,000 years. Scientists found traces of plant residues on cooking pot fragments discovered in the Sahara. Evidence of plant cooking has been rare, much less common than finding meat or milk chemicals on pots. Some pots seem to have been for fruits and seeds only, like figs, but some were used to cook leaves and stems. Even aquatic plants, like modern-day pondweed, were on the menu. Yum! Find the full paper in Nature Plants. Our brains are very good at picking up speech, even in noisy environments, like this office party. They can even help us fill in missing sounds. Neuroscientists wanted to know how that happens. So they played people an ambiguous word with a critical piece replaced with noise, like this. Factor. This word, for instance, could be factor or faster. Factor. The team recorded brain activity in auditory regions and found that the brain was filling in the signal to match what the listener said they heard. The auditory cortex was actually creating the missing sound. The study shows that the sounds in our environment and the way we hear them really are two different things. Nature Communications has that paper.
3: It's time for our second Science sing-along, which immortalises a technique which continues to revolutionise biology and has provoked a bunch of lawsuits.
1: And because the holiday season is all about family, Noah enlisted the help of two very special performers for this one. Kim and Steve Waterman, his mum and stepdad.
4: A merry little crisper Tweak your DNA From now on Mutations will be child's play Have yourself A merry little crisper If you've got Cas9. Now on your head It will take much less time First found in prokaryotes Now it's really hot world Read it all crisper with
3: holiday jazz. Thanks to Kim and Steve Waterman, or Mum and Steve to me. The lyrics were by Kerry Smith.
1: If you've enjoyed the show this year, and especially if you're enjoying this episode, the best present of all for us would be a nice review on iTunes or a complimentary email to podcast at nature.com. Likewise, if there are any stories you remember fondly or that touched you, we'd love to know what your highlights were. Onwards, it's time for a game. Earlier this week, four willing participants joined me in the studio. So here we are at the halfway point of the Christmas show, and I'm joined by a selection of nature's finest elves, plus mm-hmm. an elf from Scientific American. Uh, Steve Mersky, you've joined us from Siam. Hi.
7: Hi, nice to be here.
1: Adam Levy, everyone knows you. Uh, you Who am I? (laughs) Lizzie Gibney also joins us. Hi, Lizzie. Hello, Kerry. Sharmini Bundell, Nature's Finest. Hello. Are you ready for Taboo?
10: Yes, so ready.
1: We also have here, because it's a festive season, a diorama of Lego Christmas trees, two bottles of festive water, and an inexplicable reindeer uh, called, Lizzie? Spot. Right. And are there any defining characteristics of this reindeer that made you give him this name? <laughs> Absolutely none. No. He's bright red. Yes. Completely red. We're going to see how good he is at taboo in a minute, but we're going to test you guys first. Uh, for those not familiar with taboo, the aim of the game is for the three of you who are not describing to try and guess the word that is being described. Uh, and the speaker will not be using the word itself or the five other taboo words written on the paper that I have here. <sighs> oh, man. All these words have to do with science, more generally, or in 2016. How, how
3: well have we been paying attention I, for the I last few months?
1: listening to
10: 2016. <laughs> it was quite traumatic.
3: Is there a prize?
1: There is no prize, unless Lizzie is willing to give away spots.
10: Never. There's no prize. Like one of my children. I don't have any children. We'll <laughs> <just> have <to>. <laughs> Luckily. <laughs> are,
1: we, are we ready to begin? So ready. We're going to move in a clockwise direction from where I'm sitting. That means, Charmony, you get to describe... First. Okay. Okay. Are I you must I show anyone
10: else my card? Must I? Here is your card. Okay.
3: Kind um, of disgusted look, crushed Germany's face.
10: I'm going to describe describe to you a, a famous thing that happened this year um, when Good start. some people uh, on the in the Far East sent a item up up into the sky. You told me, satellite. Correct! Hitomi yes. is the correct answer. Charmony, excellent work. Oh, you get good. to keep
1: the Hitomi token. Oh. Lizzie, this one is for you.
10: Thank you. If you hadn't put spacecraft Japan, I wouldn't have known what Hitomi was.
1: Well they <laughs> are like,
10: That was the was that the one? No, damn it. Lizzie Gibney um, When you're ready. So that thing inside your <laughs> that thing inside your head, stuff happens there. Ooh. Uh Brain. often in neurons because I can say that. Um, and you imagine lots and lots and lots of photons, but I can't say the word which lots of photons are. Um, and they are making things happen to neurons inside that thing Retina. inside your Light head. Activated. Yeah, Chars very close. Yeah. And then what about the stuff that's on uh, on DNA? No G- that, that genes. makes up DNA, yeah. So we've got... Tantalising. We've got oh, the stuff light. that is made of photons. Light genes. And you're oh, using technique. that to have an effect. Yeah.
1: What's the name of the technique, oh, no. people?
10: Oh. This is something that Kerry loves. <laughs>
1: oh, <man>. Cheese.
10: No, <laughs> no uh, I know, <laughs> this. Oh, I know and, this. and... Um, they didn't use it in that study that she was looking into the other week the on Alzheimer's with the strobing mice. genetics. Yeah! <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> so close. That was
1: not Smooth. an easy one. <laughs> I know, and I like how the distribution of subject matter has fallen in completely incorrectly <laughs> in both of your cases so far. Adam, are you ready?
3: Oh.
1: <laughs> Spot the reindeer, could you please pass this to Adam?
3: Thank you, Spot. Oh, so abstract. Um... Okay. <sighs> uh so if you are doing some science and <laughs> and someone else wants to do that science again laboratory re- re- explosion
10: re- re- reproducibility. reproducibility crisis Yes, it's reproducibility. <laughs>
3: that was laboratory, incredible. Laboratory explosion, I think, was uh, a better answer, <laughs> but Lizzie's was the more correct answer. I literally
1: thought that would take us until Christmas.
3: It's really, that's a tricky, sorry, tricky topic.
1: Can you, Steve, reproduce Adam's success?
3: Let's
7: find out. Uh, the second man to do something really important. and Buzz
10: Aldrin? Correct. Oh, my gosh! Oh, my gosh.
3: But him, there's only one important thing that happened.
10: It's the only thing that matters, people. It's moon or nothing.
3: <laughs> moon or
1: nothing.
10: All right.
1: We're going to do this last round. In a quick-fire fashion. So none of this Okay, So there was this one time <laughs> when my dad told me blah, blah, blah. None of that. We've got very little time. We've got 15 seconds each. Steve, you're going to go first. You volunteered yourself for this. I did. And your time starts now.
7: Uh, so this was the third man to do this really important. No. Uh, <laughs> it's this. It's the same as the thing that it came from, and it was the first one to be the same. Dolly as... the Sheep. Correct. Wow.
3: Oh.
1: I'm on 15 ends now, oh, so that well That was very the time. impressive
3: from both of you.
10: Excellent. That was a really good yeah. description. I liked that. Are you ready, Sharmini? So ready. Your time starts now. Um, if I'm a scientist and I want to um, have my paper somewhere and I'm checking out the different places it could be, this is how I judge them between the different Impact places. Impact Yeah.
1: I totally left my clues open on the table there, so I hope everyone was honest.
10: I was staring too intently at Charlie's face, waiting to shout something, so I really didn't notice.
1: It was uncomfortable for the rest of us, Lizzie, but I think you guys really enjoyed it.
10: Are you ready for yours? I am. Um, Go. Um, a mm, high number periodic table just recently given a Tennessean.
3: name. Tennessean.
10: Um, and it's named after a country, oh, named after Japan, but the, the Japanese word.
3: Oh no! Our uh, ignorance betrays you us.
10: Chemistry illiterate people, you. Uh, Nihonium. Tell us the Nihonium. 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 Oddly, this was also came up in a. It came up in a pub quiz I did this week. Nihonium. What kind of pub quizzes
1: are you going I think to? It was a
10: good one. <laughs> it was space themed. Uh, space themed. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Lizzie Gibney is going to space themed quizzes. I that was invited that week.
7: Well, let that... get one too. Yeah. yeah.
3: Okay. There were four was new was ones. Gym. And Moscovium. That betrays our chemistry ignorance, though. This is team. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, chemists. Sorry,
10: chemistry. You've got
1: one chance to redeem yourself, Adam Levy. Oh, God. You've got 15 seconds in which to do
3: it. My last chance for 2016 for redemption. <laughs> Go. Uh, so uh, when two really big things fell into each other, they created... Waves. waves. Yes.
1: <laughs> I like how unanimous that last one was. <laughs>
0: Gravitational
1: waves. Thank you, taboo players. Um, I'm going to call Spot the reindeer the winner for bearing with us as we put him through so many things, so so many things. Um, and it is it is pleasing to me that he now has one of the Lego um, Christmas trees on his rear end. Thank you for being my Christmas elves, Steve Mersky of Siam. My pleasure, Adam Levy of the Nature Podcast. Hello, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm Adam, Adam Levy. Levy. <laughs> And thank you also to Lizzie Gibney and to Sharmini Bundel.
3: (laughs) Now, you might be able to guess what our third and final science song is about. A clue? It was mentioned somewhere in the game of taboo.
1: We'll get to it shortly, but first it's time for the news. And rather than looking at the week, we're looking at the whole year. Jane Lee, US Assistant News Editor, joins me on the line from Washington DC. Hi, Jane. Hi, happy to be here. Now, we're going to start with, I think, what will hopefully be the obvious story for listeners. Back in February, some famous waves. Yes, so uh, in February, physicists announced that they had
0: directly detected uh, gravitational waves uh, using LIGO, which is the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. They were able to catch the signal of uh, collision between two black holes that happened about a billion years ago. And so that was a, a... Very exciting. It was a confirmation of Einstein's
1: general theory of relativity. It went down pretty well with the public, but scientists, of course, were very excited about this too, weren't they? Yes, definitely. I mean, it was obviously nice to
0: have a big theory like the general theory of relativity confirmed or, or, you know, have another piece of evidence. Uh, But what's actually even cooler, and, you know, we weren't able to get this into the uh, news review, but recently scientists announced uh, something else that they found in um, the data that they got back. And basically, they found these echoes of the wave. And that is exciting because it could either kind of refute the general theory of relativity or confirm it, depending on kind of what these echoes turn out to be.
1: What's next for LIGO and its
0: ilk? Well, they are actually preparing to do an advanced run with Virgo, which is uh, located in Italy, uh, next year. They're hoping that this advanced run with the combined data that they're going to get will help them pinpoint where exactly these gravitational waves are coming from. So that'll be exciting.
1: Now, we've had a slightly tumultuous time here on Earth, haven't we? Perhaps not as cataclysmic as two black holes falling into each other. (laughs) Um, But in each of our respective countries, some rather large political events have shaped not only the course of science, but definitely the course of science. Shall we start in the U.S.? Sure. As everyone knows, we uh, recently had an election in
0: November where uh, the Republican Donald Trump was elected. His inauguration is January 20th. And in recent weeks, he and his transition team have announced several appointments that could have uh, far-reaching consequences for scientists and researchers in the U.S. Scott Pruitt, who's the uh, Attorney General for Oklahoma, uh, has been tapped to lead the Environmental Protection Agency. And that has some people worried because, as an attorney general for Oklahoma, Scott Pruitt has been part of several court cases against the EPA to halt a series of regulations related to clean air and water. He's also been challenging Obama's climate regulations. And then we have Rick Perry, who's the former governor of Texas. Um, Trump has picked him to head the Department of Energy. That's interesting because Perry doesn't have the, the science or um, technology background that several previous leaders have had. And so it's kind of anyone's guess as to what Perry will do if he's confirmed to lead the the DOE. And I should also mention that um, Pruitt has been nominated, but he still needs to be confirmed by by the Senate.
1: And he, I mean, it's a very interesting position to imagine someone in, isn't it? Leading an agency which they've presumably not liked that much in the past for various reasons.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's... Again, so it's kind of anyone's guess as to what's going to happen. Um, Same thing with Trump's nominee for Secretary of State, Rick's Tillerson. He is the chief executive officer of ExxonMobil, which is one of the largest oil companies in the world. Several other outlets have reported that Tillerson has business ties to to Russia. And so it's brought up a lot of concern. For you guys
1: in D.C., reporting on this stuff as it's been happening, what's been the atmosphere. I mean, incredulity or um, sadness or excitement because nothing like this has kind of ever happened before.
0: Yeah, I I think it's all of the above. Um, I think the uncertainty is is pretty stressful for for people. Um, And so it's just a very tense time. I think people are run down. Uh, The campaign was just so long and and so fraught and just sort of waiting to see what happens.
1: We're a little bit ahead of that schedule here in the UK where we had a similarly polarising vote and the UK voted to leave the EU back in June. That's also made it onto the list of sort of scientific events or events with scientific meaning in 2016, hasn't it? Uh, Yeah, so earlier in uh,
0: this year in June, the UK voted to leave the European Union and that's thrown a lot of uncertainty into the mix in terms of researchers, uh, both with the collaborations that they had in place already with academics in the European Union, as well as non-British citizens who work at UK universities. Will they have to leave? Are they still going to have a job? I think it's just thrown, again, a lot of uncertainty and confusion into the mix.
1: And have we already begun to see the fallout here six months later? Yeah. You know, I think there
0: have been some reports that UK researchers are being dropped from collaborations with... um, academics in EU member countries, uh, which is concerning. And there's also worry over funding because the UK receives billions of dollars annually from the EU. Now, I think recently, the British government said that they would underwrite funding for the Horizon 2020 projects that were formed before the formal exit. And so that is a bit of good news.
1: One thing that we've been covering a little bit less is something that we talked about a lot at the end of last year, and that is the Paris Climate Agreement. Right. In December
0: of last year, that agreement came together, and then in April of this year, um, representatives from 174 countries got together to sign the agreement. But that was actually not the end of the story. So they signed the agreement, but then they had to submit ratification documents to formalize it and have it come into effect. You needed 55 countries accounting for 55% of global emissions for the Paris Climate Agreement to actually come into effect. And so there is some concern that, you know, they might not hit that threshold. But luckily, in October, you had China, the United States, Brazil, EU member countries, they all came on board they signed it, and so the Paris Climate Agreement actually went into effect on November 4th.
1: Is this now enshrined and safe, this agreement? Or are there any powers around the world that could decide, in fact, no, I'd like to take my signature off?
0: So there have been some rumblings from the Trump camp that um, they would pull out of the Paris Agreement. They actually would not be able to do that formally, I think, for four years. So, again, we'll, we'll see what 2017 holds
1: anything else to mention about kind of overall trends or themes of 2016
0: i think people are just wanting this year to be over (laughs) i don't know if you want to put that in the recording or not but i think people are hoping for you know just just to have some time with family and friends and um take a breather and get ready for whatever 2017 has in store for us
1: Thanks, Jane, and I agree, here's to a 2017 that at least keeps things interesting. Also on the nature.com news website, the 10 people who mattered in science this year. Plus our editor's top picks of the year, from 24-hour science to the reproducibility crisis. And there's a 2016 quiz, which you should be pretty well equipped for if you've listened to the show
3: all year. So, what could our third holiday season song possibly be about? Well, our final hymn is called O Little Town of Ligo. It was written by Kerry Smith and performed by members of the Springer Nature Choir. Take it away, choir.
6: Oh, little
1: You to the singers deborah anthony emily birolini sharmini Bundell, grace jackson laura pacey joe o'neill anna york and led by amy shackleton and not forgetting kim and steve waterman for their jazzy ode to CRISPR.
3: on youtube right now you can witness the whole nature magazine office coming to a standstill which almost never happens apart from last week when it did as we captured our own version of the mannequin challenge take a peek behind the scenes at youtube.com forward slash
1: also just up on our YouTube channel, a film about YouTube. Can patient advocates with social media accounts influence research? Noah has made that film and it is beautiful. Check it out at youtube.com slash nature video channel. Our programme was produced this year by, in alphabetical order, Noah Baker,
3: Sharmini Bundell,
1: Ewan Calloway, Adam Levy, Lizzie Gibney, Jeff Marsh, Charlotte Stoddart and me, Kerry Smith. We're back next year with more stories from the heart of science.